Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Hello and welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I'm your host, Rob Howe. It is Tuesday, January the 16th, a little bit before 10 a.m. Central Time. Uh, woke up feeling like I have a cold or something, so going to uh, wake my way through this as best I can. If I lose some energy, you know the reason why, and it is freezing in Iowa City, but uh, hot on the... Uh, Iowa Athletics Trail, so to speak. Um, men's, women's basketball rolling. Uh, the men with a big road win last night up in Minneapolis. Uh, Iowa wrestlers got wins uh, over top 10 teams Friday night. Uh, defeated uh, one at Nebraska last night. Uh, came home. Uh, MLK match on Big Ten Network. Ben Keeter got his first uh match as a college wrestler and won uh, over the 28th, 29th ranked wrestler, I believe. Uh, And Iowa ended up beating Minnesota last night. So unbeaten in duels, the Iowa women continue to roll huge wins Saturday night at a sold out um, Carver Hawkeye arena, lost my phone in the parking lot. Somebody picked it up. Uh, Last ping was in Davenport. That was two days ago. So, uh, I'm guessing I will never see that phone again. Uh, but I did get to see a really good basketball game. Uh, Iowa moved up to number two in the Associated Press rankings, one spot behind uh, everyone's friend uh, in the Iowa fan base, Don Staley in South Carolina. I'm a Don Staley fan, but I won't get into that right now um, because I know it, <laughs> it probably goes against many of the people that are listening to this. I think she's been great for the sport and uh, does a lot. Uh, for people in her community, um, which is very important. But I digress. Um, And we have a new offensive coordinator for Iowa football. No, we don't. Um, Sorry. Uh, (laughs) If you're listening to this later, you probably know that I'm being an ass. But, uh, yeah, it is January the 16th, and Iowa still has not named an offensive coordinator. We're going on three months now. Since Kirk Ferentz learned that his son, Brian Ferentz, would not be back in that role next season and uh, not sure what's going on. Uh, He said he wasn't focused on that during the season, but uh, it's malpractice if you're not at least looking to fill that role uh, during the season and putting feelers out and trying to get interviews set up and all that good stuff. But here we are, and we learned yesterday uh, there was a report that Paul Christ former Wisconsin head coach and uh, seemingly a candidate for this position said he is staying at the university of Texas as an analyst. Uh, So 
sounds like his candidacy, if there was one, with Iowa football is no longer. Uh, no, We haven't heard any um, reports that Joe Philbin is not involved anymore, and uh, he's kind of been the guy I've hung my hat on for a while now, probably about a month and a half since his name first surfaced, and I started to hear it from folks that I know that are connected to the program. And uh, makes a whole lot of sense. Brennan Marion, uh, quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator with UNLV. His name has popped up recently. Um, you never say never. That one, we'll see. He's a young, up-and-coming, sought-after offensive coordinator. Um, I know I have a few questions about that in the Mailbag podcast, so I won't talk too much about that until I get to those questions Let's do that now. Let's jump in. I don't know how long my voice and head is going to hold up during this. So probably a good time as any to jump in. Again, uh, it's hashtag HFmail. That's hashtag HFmail. Anytime during the week, you can send me questions, comments. I will pick up where I left off the previous podcast and jump back in, uh, which I'll do here. These questions are from Paul Zoss at Judge Paz. On Twitter X, and these are from January 10th, so almost a week old now, but uh, did not make it into the last podcast, Mailbag Podcast, so we will jump in here with this uh, from Paul. Nobody is addressing the elephant in the room, and I mean that both literally and figuratively. I'm talking about Deacon Hill. Doesn't playing quarterback at 265 pounds show a lack of self-discipline? After Akron Wadley's conflict with KF about his weight, isn't this a double standard? Uh, I would have to know more details about both of those things. Um, Obviously, there was a conflict between uh, Kirk Ferentz and Akron Wadley that went beyond uh, weight. Uh, But certainly that was a a storyline when Akron played here, uh, him trying to get up to a weight that the coaches wanted him to be at to be able to play running back. Uh, He played it pretty damn well at whatever weight he was at. Uh, Deacon could use to get into better shape, but I'm not, I don't think that that's the reason why he had struggles this season. Um, And he's a big guy. He just is a big guy. He's always been a big guy. Um, And I don't think that really affected his play. Um, I don't know. For all we know, the coaches, the strength coaches, conditioning coaches have, already addressed this with him so i'm not going to go down that road too far um deacon needs to work on his skills uh before uh addressing any weight concerns he may have that's his off-season checklist has to include you know accuracy reading defenses becoming a better player becoming a better quarterback and uh if um you know getting in better shape, conditioning. As you mentioned that, I believe they return to campus this week and will shortly start the off-season strength and conditioning program. So maybe it will be addressed there. Uh, Paul, second question, are we going to waste another year of great defense on a terrible offense next year? Cade likely won't last for 12 games, so don't we need to plan for that possibility? We can't expect to win against a ranked team without a quality quarterback who on this roster can fill that role? Well, they uh, if you believe that, uh, you know, they've been looking at quarterbacks 
this offseason. And the kid from Oregon, his name escapes me right now, who ended up at Tulane, uh, was reportedly scheduled to officially visit Iowa, never made it here before he committed to Tulane out of the transfer portal. But at least there was some smoke that Iowa was addressing the position or looking to address the position in the transfer portal. And maybe maybe the Hawkeyes still are trying to do that. I don't know. Um, they have, uh, as it stands now, they will have four quarterbacks on the roster heading into August camp, that being Cade McNamara, Deacon Hill, Marco Linnaeus, and um, James Rezar, the incoming freshman from Florida. So you have four guys there. I think it's hard. I think it's it would be hard to add a quarterback now with the eggs being put in Cade McNamara's basket. I mean, it's pretty public and obvious that, that he is the guy. He was given the keys to the car last year when he transferred in. When he got hurt this year and said he was coming back, uh, you know, it, it was pretty much, you know, welcomed with open arms that he would be the guy in 2024 as well. He's coming off an ACL. We'll see how he recovers. We'll see how things go through the spring. Um, I certainly would want a uh, a safety net. I think we saw where Deacon Hill is now, that's not to say he can't get better and improve through spring and into next year and take steps forward and be that guy. He now has experience and hopefully he grows from those experiences. But um, is he your backup? You know, we got a little taste of Marco in the bowl game. Um, He did not throw the ball well. He ran the ball well. He brings that element to the game. Um, But is he the guy? to start week one if Cade's not ready or goes down in week one? I don't know. Um, It's a concern for me uh, just because of the unknown with Cade McNamara's health. Uh, If we knew that he was going to recover fully from the ACL and be ready to go week one and hold up for the season, that's great. But that's really um, glass like all, all the way full, not halfway full. I think that's expecting a lot. So we'll see. Um, I think, and uh, I forget this sometimes and remind myself and like to remind folks that I'm talking to about Iowa football, there's another transfer portal window that opens in May. Now, with the quarterback, if you're going to add somebody, now would be the ideal time, giving the whole offseason to learn whatever Iowa system is. But again, there's no offensive coordinator, so how urgent is it? Um, It's just you would like to have somebody in. So when there is an offensive coordinator and maybe when Iowa hires an offensive coordinator, that person will have a connection to a quarterback that he brings with him. So just a lot of loose ends right now that need to be tied up, but I'm with you. I'm unless the quarterback play improves significantly next year, it's going to be, heavy lean on defense and special teams again, because I don't know how how much the offense can improve without significant improvement at the most important position. And that includes if the offensive line improves and Luke Lachey comes back from his injury strong, <clears throat> excuse me, and the receivers develop and all that, you got to have a guy at the controls that is more in control and able to make plays. And, uh, that's the challenge going into the offseason. Last one from Paul, again from January 10th. Uh, it's exciting 
that most of the defense is coming back next year, but is also a mixed blessing. What's going to happen with all these guys leave at the same time in 2025 where we have underclassmen ready to take their places? Well, the good thing with this, Paul, is the guys that do stay and wait their turn like Jay Higgins did behind Jack Campbell hopefully can step in and maybe not do as well as he's done, but at least fill in, right? And then maybe you add a guy from the transfer portal like a Nick Jackson to fill a spot um, and get somebody to maybe fill Kyler Fisher's spot if you don't have that on the roster. There's also a bunch of really good linebackers coming in in this 2024 class or guys that can potentially be good at that position. We'll have to see how they develop. But, uh, you know, I, I think having those guys back, there's not much of a downside other than if a guy you really like, like Sebastian Castro waited his turn. Jay Higgins waited his turn. You need your best guys to wait their turn as they're developing, and that's harder and harder to do these days with the transfer portal. Um, But you have to hope Iowa does that to a degree with some of its guys. And then with the transfer portal, you can supplement around that based on what you see in practice are your needs. You can't account for injuries and, you know, guys leaving, you know, like a Justin Jacobs up and leaving and things like that. You can't account for that, but there are ways to – uh, make up for it and fill in the gaps with the transfer portal. So we'll see what happens. I'm not worried about the defense at all uh, and things getting backed up by these guys coming back, so to speak. Um, I'm way more concerned with what's going on on offense. I think as long as Phil Parker is here uh, and the guys on this defensive staff are here, I think I was in good shape on that side of the ball. Will it be as good as it's been the last few years? I don't know. Um, you've got, you're playing different offenses next year. Uh, you know, so maybe there's some hiccups here and there. I don't know, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm confident that the Iowa defense is going to be pretty damn good no matter what year it is and who's out there. I have pretty, at this point, that we have a large enough sample size to feel like Iowa is, uh, excuse me, in pretty good shape on that side of the ball. Um, this is from Trip Manfro at PFAC51, uh, now a frequent and regular contributor to the Mailbag Podcast. Um, this is from one, uh, this is for, from one, when did he sell? This was from the 10th as well. What exactly has Kelton Copeland den, done and or accomplished to keep his job safe until one two twenty five? 25 Um, this probably came before the news that Kelton Copeland had lost his job. Um, part, mutual parting of the ways, however you want to frame it. There are these uh, um, PR type separations when it comes to sports. Uh, it was a mutual parting of the ways. That saves people from saying they quit and saves people from saying you're fired. But it didn't work out and the relationship is done and whatever the reasons, whatever semantics we want to use as, as words to describe the parting of ways, uh, Kelton Copeland is out and Iowa needs a wide receiver coach in addition to the offensive coordinator and potentially adding, you know, another wide receiver, a quarterback in the portal. Um, 
Kelton Copeland had his moments. Um, I think he did a good job developing Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith and some other receivers, um, but it stagnated recently. Um, he complained last year about the inability or the degree of difficulty in recruiting wide receivers to Iowa with Iowa's offense the past several years. That that couldn't have sat well with Kirk Ferentz. That had to have been – there must have been steam coming out of uh, Kirk's collar if he was wearing a collar shirt that day um, because that's just a direct, um, you know, criticism of the head coach and his son. And, uh, you know, though Copeland sp- spoke the truth, it is hard to recruit receivers to Iowa. Um you know, they caught why I think it, I don't ha- I have the I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I think this year Iowa's receivers. See if I can look it up real quick here, so I don't say something. Uh, here we go. I added up the wide receiver statistics from this season. Uh, so this season, the wide receiver group, the position, caught seventy six passes for seven hundred and fifty four yards and three touchdowns. Only four different wideouts caught passes. I'll, I'll say that again. 76 total catches from the position for 754 yards and three touchdowns. Nico Ragaini, Seth Anderson, Caleb Brown, and who was the other guy? That, oh, Deontay Vines. Those are the four receivers who caught passes this season. That's it. So, yeah. It it was it bottomed out. It was not good, um, and it makes sense. We if you remember back to when Greg Davis took over, I think it was Lester Herb was still the receivers coach then um, for the 2012 season, I believe, and maybe even 13. But I think it was just the 12 season, and then Davis. I think went to Kirk and asked if he could bring in Bobby Kennedy as a receiver coach who, who he worked with in Texas and who is now at Stanford, I believe. Um, so there are, it, sometimes it's important for an offensive coordinator specifically when they're trying to um, implement their offense to have a receivers coach on the same page. So bringing in a new offensive coordinator, wasn't as big a deal. I don't think with Brian Ferentz, um, cause he and Copeland came in roughly the same time. I think maybe it was a year late. I forget when Copeland's first season was, but there wasn't much of an over a gap between the two hires between Brian going to offensive coordinator and Kelton taking over the, the receiver coaching job. So, um, it, it wasn't like, a, it wasn't a huge deal then, but, um, it makes sense to me that they're waiting, um, or, or going to replace Copeland, um, with a uh, receiver coach that the offensive coordinator is comfortable with. If that's the case, I, I certainly the offensive coordinator isn't getting carte blanche here and just, Hey, yeah, hire whoever you want as a receivers coach. But I think the input would be somewhat significant. And Kelton Copeland has been trying to get out of here or at least when most coaches do, they're trying to move their way up the ladder. They're trying to, and he couldn't have been having a good time coaching the position here it was there were immense challenges to coaching wide receivers at Iowa um but when Tim Polishek and uh Derek Foster moved on to their respective locations 
I think Kelton was who came in with them was in a similar position trying to put feelers out to see if he could better his his lot in life, better his, better his uh, coaching position, move up the ladder, so to speak. So, um, uh, let's see, we'll take a couple from Dan Brockett here uh, at Freakademic on Twitter. There is a thread on Tom Caper, Tom Caker's board that's at Hawkeye Report speculating about the OC hire that is 123 pages long as I post this. And he posted, Dan sent this to me on January 11th, so five days ago. Um, I imagine it'll be over 200 pages by the time you record. Uh, how many pages would KF have to read to break the Guinness World Record for snorts in the afternoon? Uh, there are over 5,000 posts, so 40-something posts per page. Not that I want a serious answer. Yeah, I think, and just generally before I ask some, answer some of the specific questions on offensive coordinator that I have in the queue, um, just in general terms, I think people are going crazy. People being the Iowa fan base, people that are really invested in um, who the next coordinator is going to be because they're so invested in this program. They spend money on the program, invest time, resources, things like that. They care, right? Um, and I'm checking my inbox just to make sure uh, we haven't had um, – an announcement and we have it. So um, I know there uh, was a coach coaches convention last week, I believe. Um, and I know Kirk has been out on the road quite a bit, just kind of seen some uh, different events that he's been at. And I know he was probably at the coaches convention, maybe putting feelers out there. Uh, it's an important hire. And I'm not so concerned with having somebody in place Quickly, I would rather have somebody in place that inspires confidence that things will get better. Um, and even the higher, even if it inspires confidence, it doesn't mean that there will be success. Likewise, even if it's a higher like a Joe Philbin, where people are like, eh, same old, running it back, whatever cliche term you want to use, Um won't inspire a lot of confidence and create a lot of excitement, but it could end up working. So that's really the most important thing, but I get it. As I said, at the top of the show, it's been going on three months that Iowa um, has been without an offensive coordinator, not technically because Brian finished up his job, but it's been three months since Kirk Ferris has known he needs to fill the position and it's still not filled. That's, uh, I don't know. I mean, he does things his own way. And if there was, you know, if he gets the results at the end, that's really all that matters. But I get the frustration and it's creating speculation, um, which then feeds off of itself. And I see it on the Hawkeye, you know, on our arm, on the message board for another website that I work at. I see it on Twitter. People are throwing names out. People act like they're insiders. Even people in the media like myself try because people are constantly asking, who is it? Who's it? Who's involved? Who? And I've gotten to the point where I am not going to speculate and create names out of thin air or if there's an inkling that a, you know, somebody like um, Brennan Marion is involved. Like they made a phone call to Brennan Marion. And now all of a sudden he's a top candidate. 
You don't know that. And the people that are putting it out there, they don't know that. Um, because I can't guarantee you much about all of this, but I can guarantee you that Kirk Ferentz is not sharing information with people to p- be put out into the media unless they want it to be put out there to say, okay. Um, and you would have heard, you know, these are guys that are in the running because, it, it, again, it, it creates excitement. Like last year with the transfer portal when it was Cade McNamara and Eric All and, and, and that group, that created excitement. That helped sell season tickets. You would want to do that now, but you all don't, so don't want to do it to the detriment of your search for a new offensive coordinator. So um, hopefully that makes sense. Um, uh, and, you know, hopefully you have to believe and have to have confidence that the head coach of your football program, the football program for which you root, has the best interest of that football program, wants to win, wants to fill that position with somebody who's going to move the program forward. And it's not a case where um, there's stubbornness to prove a point. Um, that's, That's the hope. And maturity, professionalism, all of those things should trump any personal feelings about what happened to a family member. That's my thought on that. Um, let's see here. Let's go with uh, let's go to forty four MLS. He's got a couple here for me. We'll do that, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll come back and we'll finish up. Um, but forty four MLS at forty four MLS on Twitter, a frequent, regular, treasured member of our Hawk Fanatic Mailbag podcast here as are everybody who's sending questions today. I, I appreciate all of you. Um, do you think the comments made by Kim Mulkey reflect a growing resentment, jealousy of Caitlin Clark, excuse me, Caitlin Clark within the women's basketball community? Also, how do you think she will, will be received by WNBA players when she enters the league? I'll take the last part first. She'll be received really well if she helps the league grow and helps whatever team she ends up on win, there's going to be resentment. You saw it with Tiger Woods, not that it's an apples to apples comparison, but some people resented Tiger Woods success and how much attention, but he made a lot of people, a lot of money and grew the sport. And that's what, that's the parallel I would make with Caitlin Clark, the ability to grow the sport and grow its popularity. Um, uh, create, you know, create an opportunity for kids to dream that they can be her. Um, you know, and you see that with, you know, Jordan and Tiger Woods and, you know, anybody, you know, Billie Jean King. And if you, you know, Serena Williams, think about the, the not even pioneers, but difference makers, people that, you know, impacted the sport beyond just wins and losses. And I think she fits into that. The the Kim Mulkey stuff, she's a buffoon. So whatever she says, I dismiss. We went with it through this shit with her when she was at Baylor before Baylor played Iowa. Uh, I think in the Elite Eight, 
back, I think it was Megan's senior year, Megan Gustafson's senior year. And she and the Baylor players, I thought, were very disrespectful of the attention that Megan got. And, um, yeah, Baylor was better. Baylor won. But it's just, you know, I get being a competitor, and I get, you know, maybe in the locker room saying, listen, let's shut her down. Let's shut Caitlin down. Let's shut Megan down. Uh, but publicly, we can be complimentary and not act like asses, um, but just say, hey, you know, get out in front of people, say, hey, we're looking forward to this challenge. If we can shut her down, we're doing something that other people aren't able to do. If we slow her down, things like that. But there there becomes this immaturity um, from Kim Mulkey. And I will say, I thought whether it was Dawn Staley or somebody who had her phone and was tweeting out from her account uh, after Caitlin made the the game-winning shot against Michigan State. There's a part of you that's like, okay, that competitiveness and kind of, um, and I call it somewhat immaturity. We see that in, in men's sports all the time. Pettiness, I think, is probably a better word. And if there's pettiness against Caitlin, there's a part of me that says, well, it's because the sport's growing and the attention that Caitlin's getting is getting under the skin of opponents. And that's a good thing because if she wasn't getting this attention, it wouldn't get under the skin of the opponents and it wouldn't show that the sport is growing, if that makes sense. So um, I get it. Um, There is no bad publicity. They say there is uh, obviously, Um, but uh, it really, at the end of the day, I, there's a cliche. It doesn't matter a lot less. It's just um, people, I think, are petty in nature often. And I think that's what we see with Caitlin Clark. But if you look at the big picture, if you're involved in the sport, if you're involved in marketing, if you're involved in media covering her, um, she's making a lot of people money. Um, and she'll continue to do that with her brand. Um, she's a good kid by all accounts. And I call her a kid because I'm old. But I think she'll represent herself well in the league. Um, yeah, she gets, you know, her competitiveness. And um, I think sometimes lack of self-control shows through on the court, which can be a detriment to her. But it's also, you don't, it's a fine line between trying to take that away, how competitive she is. You don't want to squash the competitiveness because it's what makes her as good as she is. So it's just some thoughts on that. It's a good question, though. And, you know, we'll see if the season goes on, if we can continue to see, you know, Kim Mulkey and Dawn Staley and other competitors take shots. You don't see it as much within the Big Ten. Um, um, Maybe a little bit um, with some teams and some coaches, but not not as extreme as. And you know, you think about it. Kim Mulkey coaches the defending national champions, and Don Staley coaches the number one team in the country. Maybe they feel like their kids should be getting more attention based on where they are. But again, you look at the big picture. Caitlin Clark is good for South Carolina basketball, and. LSU basketball and college basketball in general, this game of basketball, the 
women's athletics, there's so many things that she helps that I think if some, if sometimes people, some of these competitors take a step back, they realize that. Uh, last one here from 44MLS, and then we'll take a little break here. I don't know if you saw this, but in your years of covering football, have you ever seen a tackle made by Desmond King on Joe Flacco in which he was breakdancing on his head? Um, I was watching that game. I don't remember seeing that, Les. Um, I saw another play by Desmond in that game that was impressive, but um, see if I can – Pull up the video real quick so I can. Desmond King, Joe Flacco. Uh, Houston Chronicle, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, I see the still photo. It looks like it was. Uh, is there a. Uh, is there a. Uh, 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 it looks funny. <laughs> that is good. Um, yeah, good to see Desmond still hanging in the league and still getting things done. Uh, back with the Texans, still playing in the playoffs like a lot of former Hawkeyes are. It was great to see Tristan Wirfs just maul people last night and Anthony Nelson uh, with a safety on Jalen Hurts. That ended up being a big play. Um, fun to watch. Fun to watch these former Hawkeyes uh, excelling on the professional level and living out their dreams. But uh, thank you for the questions. Less appreciated as always. Uh, probably a good time to take a break here before we come back and uh, dive into the rest of your questions. First, want to let folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited uh, for the great work they've been doing in our community for over half a century and for their support of the podcast, Systems Unlimited, sui.org. I'll hear from a few more sponsors here, and I'll be back to dive into the rest of the questions after the break. Hang in there. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance is served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116 or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration and remodeling. And we are back. Thank you to our sponsors. We appreciate their support of the podcast. Please Solicit those organizations if you wouldn't mind and mention Hawk Fanatic when you do. We appreciate the support and the ability to bring you these podcasts free of charge. Uh, we have a new Hawkeye-centric podcast every day of the work week and also have a Hawkeye history podcast that usually drops on the weekend. So uh, meeting your Hawkeye podcast needs here 
at hawkfanatic.com. No Patreon, any of that stuff. Free of charge as soon as they drop. All right, let's jump back in here and finish up. We got a few more in here. Actually got a decent amount in here. Uh, This one is from Jake Markham at jmarkham1337. What is your ceiling for men's and women's basketball this season? Uh, I think the women are good enough to win a national championship. I think the men... um, Ceiling is tough. Uh, Second round? Um, It's hard to say because the women, you kind of know what you have because we've seen it last year um, and the star is back. With the men, it's hard to know development-wise. Ceiling? uh, Yeah. Win in the NCAA tournament. A win there, making the field and winning a game. but I wouldn't want to limit them to, to that either because I think uh, when Iowa men are playing at their best, um, they can play with a lot of different teams and, and some of the better teams. There's a lot of parity in college basketball now, and uh, especially in the Big Ten. Uh, it's a very balanced league. Uh, I do think Wisconsin and Purdue are at the head of the class with Illinois kind of in there too. But then after that, it is – wide open, um, really wide open in the league. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I, I after watching the women uh, on Saturday against Indiana, another top 15 team, um, they, it, it, they have the chance. They have a chance to win it all. It's going to take breaks. Uh, winning it all takes some, some luck. Um, and playing your best basketball at the end of the season, uh, not always easy to do. Um, but there's enough talent there, and you have the best player in the country, uh, so that gives you an opportunity uh, to win it all and cut them down. Um, I, don't, I forget where it is. Cleveland this year? I think Cleveland's where the final four is. Um, all right. Optimistic optimistic pessimist at Iowa Hawk Guy G-U-Y, on Twitter uh, has three, four that he has sent. Uh, is the Iowa offensive coordinator search becoming a national embarrassment? I think you could say that if people around the country cared. <laughs> it just, I mean, I get it here, as I, as I spoke to this earlier, that people are getting antsy. People want answers. People want to know um, who's going to run this offense next year because it's the number one gripe beef that people have with the program now is the offense. So knowing who's going to be in charge of that, or at least collaborate with Kirk Ferentz with that, I get it. But I just, around the country, I don't think it's that big of a deal. So I don't think it's a national embarrassment. If the hire doesn't improve things, then that's when it can become a national embarrassment, like it has been on the field the last few years. But I think I don't think the search for an offensive coordinator is a national embarrassment because with all due respect to Iowa, I don't think people around the country are that invested or concerned with who Iowa gets as its offensive coordinator. Um, it's not the same as if the position was open at USC or Oklahoma or Alabama or – you know, go down the list, Florida State, wherever. Um, so uh, how can Kirk or anyone inside the program or Beth Getz be so self-unaware of the process and need for autonomy 
without anyone standing up to Kirk and letting him know why such lack of accountability is given. I'm not sure if I follow this question as well. Um, how can Kirk or anyone inside the program be so so self unaware of the process and need for autonomy? So, are you asking that we should know like who they're interviewing? And I think that's what this question means. If we should know who's being interviewed, um, you know, who the candidates are, things like that. I I don't have an I don't need transparency there. Um, it's not. I don't think it's. A, you know, I, I think we see it in the NFL. I mean, it's kind of weird too. You see the teams tweet, "Hey, we in, interviewed Jim Harbaugh." Hey, we interviewed Jim. You know, Bill Belichick. They do that in the NFL. I don't think you need to do that as much as co- in college. There are so many programs and so many coaches that I it may compromise your ability to land somebody if you're putting that information out there. So. I don't have a plan, a, a problem with, you know, the search being done behind closed doors. It, would it be great to know, okay, it's Tuesday. They're interviewing, you know, Brennan, um, what is his name? Um, Brennan Marion. They're interviewing him today. And tomorrow they're interviewing Joe, interviewing Joe Philbin. And Thursday it's Paul Christ. Yeah, I mean, uh, it would bring attention it would bring interaction i get all that but it's not something that i think needs to be done and and if i'm misreading your question or, or not understanding it correctly um because really you know the bottom line is is kirk ferentz going to hire somebody that makes this offense watchable that's really all that matters and in hindsight, you know, what if we knew guys that didn't get hired, um, we could say, oh, well, Iowa could have had so-and-so, and they didn't. They hired so-and-so, and it didn't work. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, right? Um, I don't think there's – if the offensive coordinator – if the offense doesn't improve again with the new hire – that could be the end of Kirk Ferentz's career. He could be like that, you know, I'm not, I don't want to deal with this anymore. It's just not working, whatever the case may be, but it's bottom. It's a bottom line business. It doesn't matter to me anyway, who's being interviewed and who is chosen. It just has to work. That's to me, even no matter who is announced, you would think this month as the new offensive coordinator, I'm not, I'll do my research. I'll say, okay, this is what this guy has accomplished. This is what's happened in the past with him. This is why he was hired. This is why it might work. This is why it might not work. None of that shit matters. It matters when the season kicks off, is Iowa better on that side of the ball? And is Iowa not a laughing stock on that side of the ball? Is Iowa not historically inept on offense? Those are the things that matter to me. Fans, I get it. You're invested again. You invest money. You invest your time. I understand you wanting transparency and accountability and all this stuff in this process. But to me, that's just, you know, water cooler talk, for lack of a better term. It just, to me, you got to do it. It's... 
it, it either works or it doesn't work, no matter who it is. And if it doesn't work, now you're going on to, you know, how many years of offensive, the offense being offensive, so to speak. So really to me, that's, that's where you're trying to get to. Um, so it's annoying to the fact that we're still sitting here and having to speculate, but it, none of that at the end of the day matters. What matters is getting it right. Uh, another one from Iowa Hawkeye. With the offensive coordinator position more likely being filled by Kirk with an uninspiring hire and yes man, due to varying factors, it sounds like, what kind of effect will that have on attendance? And does Kirk get passed next year with the 100th or worst offense for a fourth straight year? Yeah, that there are layers to that question. Uh, the last part is... I don't know what it would take for Beth or whoever is the permanent AD moving forward, what it would take to fire the all-time winningest coach who's been here for a quarter of a century. Um, I don't know what it takes. It would take to get to that point. Um, And, you know, as, as hard as it's been to watch the offense Iowa has still won, what, 28 games the last three years? That's the bottom line, right, is can you win? Now, we can sit here and say, well, that shit ain't going to float moving forward with an expanded Big Ten and no longer having the ability to to be the best of a bad division um, and get to go to the Big Ten championship by winning that inferior division um, and making the college football playoff, all of those things. There are new benchmarks now, and there, there's reason to be skeptical that Iowa can continue to win the way it has with this bad of an offense with the new structure. But it doesn't mean that it can't, especially with all the defensive guys that are coming back next year. In terms of your question about filling the stadium, I get a sense that people are pretty annoyed, especially with the way that the season ended, being blown out in two high-profile games where the country's watching you, the large part of the country, especially in the Big Ten Championship game, but also the Capital One Bowl or whatever it is, the Citrus Bowl. That's a that's one of those games on New Year's Day that a lot of people watch. It's the only one on in that time slot, uh, at least initially, and people tune in and watch that. It's usually a pretty good Big Ten team against a pretty good SEC team, and I get that, but getting torched by Tennessee – And, you know, there are a few um, fans that I follow on Twitter who who I feel are rational um, and um, not overreactive. And the the feeling that they expressed watching this season was almost with like your hands over your eyes and kind of peeking out and going and being relieved when Iowa wins because it's so – tough to watch that offense and I'm not sure you're going to be able to sell out the stadium again going in until you prove it now it's Iowa football so it's going to be mostly full it's an event it's a time to be with your family and friends the tailgate is as big as the game itself um it's different than going to you know an Iowa baseball game or an Iowa basketball game or even a wrestling match um it's 
it's it's a party. It's it's a socialization. It's all of those things. The weather's often nice, particularly for the first half of the season. It's people look forward to it. People um, budget money to be to for that to be a part of their lives. And the the thing you don't want is to lose those people and then try to have to get them back. And that's where I think Iowa is in a dangerous spot right now. Um, People have had a lot to cheer about the last three years, but the lack of offense and just the difficulty in watching the product on that side of the ball, um, I think has worn people down to the point where I think they're going to have some trouble selling seats to certain games. Uh, The good news is they get Iowa State at home, Wisconsin at home, Nebraska at home, Washington at home. This home schedule is really good. So I can see people maybe not buying the season tickets, but buying individual tickets and taking a wait and see approach. It's kind of my thought on where things are at now, but you guys would have a better idea than me because you're fans and you're the people that buy the tickets. Uh, Last one from optimistic pessimist. Fran is Iowa's all-time winningest coach. Why do you think Fran is so underappreciated amongst Iowa fans and criticized and mocked as a program from a national perspective from opposing fan bases and media? Very vocal on social media online. Um, I think part of it is Fran's on-court persona, uh, the red face, the technical fouls, the yelling at officials, um, you know, him wearing his emotions on his sleeve. I think that has alienated people, certainly from other fan bases and also from his own fan base. Um, And then it's a football school. Again, I've said this before. When Steve Alford left here and said that, um, I didn't agree with a lot of Steve Alford, uh, anything about the guy, but he's right. Football is king in Iowa, and basketball usually takes a back seat unless it's what, you know, what Caitlin Clark and the Iowa women are doing right now. That's the level it takes to have that much engagement. And Fran has gotten the program back to where Dr. Tom had it. Um, And I wrote this in my column that you can find on my Twitter feed from last night. Um, If you... If I if there would have been a tournament in 2020 that you know if it wasn't canceled by the pandemic, Iowa would have made Iowa would be on a five year run of NCAA tournament bids. As it is, it's on a four year run, which is tied for the second most in the history of the program. Five would tie the most, which was I believe 85 to 89 five straight years making the NCAA tournament. If Iowa does that this year, it would have done it again. Um, There's an asterisk because this would really be year six had there not been the pandemic canceling. But if you put it in that perspective in the history of the program that Fran has been consistently getting his team to the NCAA tournament, but that's not enough for a lot of people. They want that sweet 16 bid. That's the, that's the hurdle that I think needs to be cleared. Um, Getting a team to the sweet 16. It's been since Dr. Tom that, you know, it was when I first came here, you know, it was one of my first few years here. Um, And that's crazy to think about that. The Iowa men's basketball team hasn't made the sweet 16 in that amount of time, but that's the case. But again, it's luck, 
It's dr- the draw. It's how the ball bounces here and there. But the bottom line is they haven't made it. And I think that's part of it as well. So I think there are multiple factors that go into this. Um, it's a good question. Um, but um, I can tell you one thing. I don't think Fran gives a shit how, you know, if, if people don't respect him. And I'm not sure he cares about the criticism either. Um, the good thing with Fran McCaffrey is he cares about his guys. And if you saw the outpouring, not only from guys that played for him, but Kent McCausland and Ryan Lersman and guys that played for Dr. Tom, the respect they have for Fran and what he's done, that tells you what he's accomplished to me. Um, But it's usually never good enough, right? No matter what these guys do, um, you know, winning 10 games this year, the offense sucked, Um, you know, Whatever, whatever the case may be, it's oh, people always want more, and it's tough to say what will satisfy people. And everybody has their own expectations, so you mix all that together, it makes it a difficult equation to solve. But I would say, Fran's demeanor and Iowa's inability to reach the sweet sweet sixteen, I think, because. You talk about players of the year in the league and all Americans and putting guys in the NBA that there was a, such a long drought where that didn't happen. If you if you focus on the history of Iowa men's basketball and what Fran McCaffrey has accomplished, he's right there. He's obviously got the most wins, but he's also one of the lowest, longest tenured coaches in history. So there's part of it at that. But just look comparatively what he's accomplished to what this po- program has accomplished in the past. And that gives you an idea of what um how i value him so uh glotendo switch this is drake timbers what do you know about the go-go offense they play at unlv football the brennan malone rumor as iowa's next offensive coordinator is growing louder like how ufo disclosure is finding our out our sleeping bodies are used used as drone laborers which is why some of us wake up sore the last part, again, if you're unfamiliar with Drake Timbers and his, his appearances on this podcast, the last part about the UFO, I just read because it was part of this, and I'm not going down that road or trying to um, get into that existential conversation. I just leave that to marinate in your brains as you listen. Um, but the Iowa football part of this, which is the Brennan, Brennan Marion uh Part of it, which we've mentioned so far on the podcast, the UNLV offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, um, it's it's rumor, it's speculation. Um, maybe he was given a call and said no. Um, maybe he was given a call and said, I'll think about it. There are SEC programs. There are Big 12 programs. He is not a guy that's just flying under the radar. He is what he's done with the go-go offense at UNLV and – from the video I've watched since his name surfaced uh, as a as a you know speculative speculative candidate for Iowa's offensive coordinator, it's cool, man. It's it's varying formations. The the I think the common theme that I see with it is spreading, giving your offense an advantage by spreading things out and attacking soft spots in the defense. And that takes a lot because you're trying to figure out where those are going to be, uh, have the players that are able to um, 
absorb the information that you're teaching them and being able to execute the plan. I do have some questions on whether or not it meshes with Kurt Ferentz's philosophy, but it's also not so far out there that I don't think it could work, if that makes any sense. It's exciting. It's a cool-looking offense. Now, the, the issue is it takes a mobile quarterback, and does Iowa have somebody that can run that with efficiency? The other thing I would caution people with is that UNLV, first of all, Dave, it's Dave Odom, right? or Barry Odom. I always get those two mixed up, but whoever the Odom is at UNLV, um, Barry Odom. Um, there's, there's rumors that he could be, he could follow Jed fish at Arizona who went, took the Washington job when Kellen DeBoer went to Alabama. If that were the case, I could see Marion just going to Arizona and keeping that philosophy together. Because if you're Brandon Marion, you have to wonder you're talking to other coaches, you're talking to your mentors, you're getting advice, you're getting input about what is what the structure is at Iowa. And does a guy like that, regardless of the amount of money, because again, he's somewhat of a hot name, hot prospect, he's going to get paid and he's going to have opportunities. Does he see Iowa as his best opportunity? Those are the things objectively you have to, you know, analyze if you think this is going to be a match um it does he, he looks at the roster does he say okay well we've got the quarterback i need to run this offense we have the wide receivers we have the running backs the offensive line the pieces are in place um i don't know i'm skeptical because i they they, they just added um and this was just he just retweeted it um, Florida Nike coach of the year clinic, one of the hottest names in football. So they're having him at an event, Nike event in Florida coming up in February. Um, so he promoted that, but they also got a quarterback from um, Holy Cross, Matthew Sluka, uh, who is uh, one of the, the more sought after quarterbacks in the transfer portal. He decided to go to UNLV within the last few days to play for Brennan Marion, that's another thing to make your and it's coaching. I get it. Coaches often throw curveballs with, okay, well, he's not going to leave because this, because they got this guy and there's this money and all that. Coaches do weird things. So you can't say, you can't look at things and say, this is an absolute, absolute predictor. But you have to also look at the factors and think in your head. Does this make sense? Is this going to make sense? And I have my doubts. Um, I would love to see the go-go offense at Iowa, if nothing else, but being able to refer to it as the go-go offense, I think would be fun. But thinking about Iowa having a go-go offense also makes me giggle. Because if you've looked at the Iowa offense in recent years, it wasn't going anywhere. So go-go is kind of funny. Anyway. I digress. I think I've got a couple more here. Nobody's alt. Um, is the OC search taking this long the worst thing ever or the worst thing that will ever be? LOL. Yeah. It's fair. I mean, I get it. You guys are anxious. You're antsy. Everybody wants to know who it's going to be. But again, um, I maintain that I want it to be the right person and not the person 
that he can get as quickly as possible. Now I get it again. It's been two and a half going on three months uh, of going through this for folks. And I get the people are fed up and impatient with wanting to know, but again, you guys (laughs) know Kirk Ferentz well enough to know that he's going to move at his own pace, no matter what it is. So that's your head coach. And that's who you're waiting on. And it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that that's who you're waiting on. Uh, That's all I have here. Um, I think I have a question from Emily. Uh, For some reason, Emily, as you know, your questions do not show up when I search the hashtag, um, but I did see them show up on in my notifications. So I saw it to go back. (laughs) Excuse me. I need a coffee sip. And find your questions. Emily asks, congrats to Fran on his historic win last night. Curious as to why you think there's a disconnect between the fan base and Fran optimistic pessimist kind of asked ask that question, Emily. And I, I just think again, just to reiterate, it's, it's Fran's demeanor rubs people the wrong way. Um, the technical fouls, I think that creates animosity with opposing fan bases, the lack of Iowa being able to be a factor deep into March is something I think that weighs on people. I think there are a lot of factors But hopefully when people reflect back on Fran McCaffrey's career, because they're what how people view Fran McCaffrey right now is very similar to how Dr. Tom was viewed at the end. And I was fortunate enough to be here for Dr. Tom's last two years. So I remember the conversations. I remember how fans were offering to to drive him to the airport or help him pack and all those things. And it got nasty. And people were tired of Dr. Tom. They wanted to go to the next level, as Bob Bowlesby said. Well, look what you got out of that. And I'm not always with the be careful what you wish for crowd because I think that's a slippery slope and you don't know how things are going to transpire. But if you think, if you talk to Iowa basketball fans now, they look fondly back on Dr. Tom's career. Um, and hopefully someday that's how people look at Fran, what Fran accomplished here, is that there's an appreciation for what he did. Um, and replacing him is not a layup, to use, you know, basketball terminology. It, you know, the, it, Gary Barta thought bringing in Todd Licklider was a good idea after Steve Alford left. That was not a good idea. narrator it was not a good idea it didn't not work out it's a tough job at iowa there's not a lot of in-state division one talent to choose from it's very hard to recruit in the areas in your footprint because there's so much competition for players transfer portal iowa does not have a great nil when it comes to men's basketball comparatively to some of the competition a lot of things play into it but um I think in the moment now, people get frustrated that Iowa isn't going far in their brackets in March. And I think it's been a snowball cumulative effect over the years of Iowa not getting to the Sweet 16. And it is the elephant in the room. It's the gorilla on the back. Whatever cliche you want to use, 
until they break through and make the second week of weekend of the NCAA tournament, there's going to be that scar tissue that's exposed again. So kind of my thoughts on that. Um, last one from Emily. Uh, most Hawks sports are performing well. However, volleyball continues to struggle. I'm aware of this. And struggle or in softball has seen minor improvements. Do you think Gillespie and Barnes are on the hot seat without breakout years? Do you think in-state talent will stay home and play for these programs? That's where it's got to start, Emily. They're, you know, having the good fortune to watch some of the better high school volleyball players in the state, because my daughters play, to think about some of the kids that are leaving the state, if they would stay here, that would solve a lot of the problems, and then you could build around them. But you have to get some of them in the program to – to show that it's um, the the end thing to do, so to speak, you have to start. You have to get that started, and he hasn't been able to do that. In fairness, his predecessors haven't been able to do that either. So, I don't know what it is. They've got a good arena. They have a really good facility to play at home. Uh, the resources are there. I'm not sure what it's going to take, but that's where it has to start. And I would say the same thing for Renee Gillespie. There's There are really good softball players in the state of Iowa. And I do get to watch them as well, working for your prep sports. And a lot of them leave the state to play softball. That shouldn't happen. That didn't happen um, previously when, when softball was a high-level sport. Um, but they chose to to move on from Gail Blevins for whatever the reasons are you hear, you can research whatever. Um, but it hasn't been the same since she left and she kept the best talent in state. She, when she was here, Gail Blevins made sure to keep the best softball players in Iowa from on the prep level in Iowa. And that hasn't happened since she left. So that's really where it has to start foundationally. And then you build up from there. And we'll see if that happens. As far as hot seat, I'm not sure. Um, obviously, Gary Barta hired them. So whether it's Beth or a different athletic director who comes in, whoever that is, they're going to you know, analyze every program, evaluate every program. And I would think that those two programs have to be under the microscope the most in terms of trying to figure it out. Because as you said, most of the programs – in the department are performing well. Those two programs who have decent histories, especially softball, not performing at the level that you'd like them to perform. Um, I think that's it, folks. I think we got to everything. And uh, I appreciate everybody sending in their questions, as always, and uh, appreciate our sponsors for supporting the podcast. I will be back Thursday morning, 9 a.m. Central Time, live on YouTube with Scott Docterman for the Hotspot Podcast. Um, we will have tomorrow the Hawk Fanatic flagship podcast with Pat Hardy and KCJJ. They, that'll be Wednesday and Friday this week. So we've got you covered for the rest of the week as it pertains to Hawkeye Athletics. So, hey, if Kirk Ferris decides he's going to hire an offensive coordinator at some point this week, we'll be around to talk about it. So please tune in if you would. But again, we appreciate you listening. Appreciate everybody who's sending questions. Thank you to our sponsors. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.